community that cares so deeply for each other. Uh, amen. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. We are in James, um, and I spilled water all over my sermon, so if I struggle up here, just uh, bear with me. Um, but we have, this is going to be the shortest verse uh, we have ever preached on, one verse in James. And so we have been going through uh, discipleship and what it looks like to be uh, a disciple of Christ and involved in discipleship groups here at Redeemer. And so we started with kind of an intro talk that we, or intro sermon uh, two weeks ago. Um, and then uh, last week we talked about what it looks like to be in discipleship groups. We don't do discipleship by ourselves. Um, and over these next two weeks we're going to kind of talk about what it looks like, what what the actual practical parts of discipleship among fellow believers uh, in relationship and friendship together can and should look like. And so uh, this week we're looking at confession, uh, everybody's favorite topic, um, and we will talk about what it means to confess our sins to one another. Um, and hopefully we will receive the invitation uh, from our Lord uh, to be fully known and more fully loved. So this is James 5, verse 16, then I will pray for us. James says at the end of the letter, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the Word of God that we submit under. We're so thankful for the Bible uh, that it comes to us, uh, that it is through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, it shapes us, it, it molds us into people who are more and more like Jesus. And I pray that would continue to happen right now this morning. Uh, may your word, as I preach it, uh, may it fall on ears that are ready uh, to be uh, changed and transformed through the Holy Spirit. Uh, may you convict us of sin where we are in sin. Uh, and may you affirm uh, our beliefs in Jesus uh, where they need to be affirmed. Father, I pray for our church here at Redeemer. I pray for those who are hurting amongst us, whether that's relational hurt or physical pain or uh, financial uh, stress they're under or a housing issue or a work issue. Uh, Father, you know all of our issues and everyone that walked in the doors of this church this morning uh, comes with troubles that they are working through and we pray that your kingdom would come. May we be the body in Christ to one another, continue to be. May we share your love and how we serve and sacrifice for each other. And Father, I pray that if, those, if there are people here in the church today that do not know you, may the light bulb of salvation go off in them. May they understand the love of Christ that was poured out on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a few years ago, I read a story about a guy who lived in Chicago. This is probably 10 or 15 years ago. Lived in Chicago. And this man was married. He had two kids. And he lived in, they all lived in an apartment in the city. Well, one summer, he had a factory job that he had been hired out a year or two prior. And every morning, uh, for those years he worked there, he would wake up in the morning, put on his uniform for the day, help the kids get ready, have breakfast with his family, kiss his wife good morning, and then they'd both head off to work, and one of them would drop the kids off to school on the way to work. Well, this continued and continued until one morning he did the same thing. He woke up, put on his uniform, helped the kids get ready for school, had breakfast with his family, kissed his sweet wife, but instead of going to work, he just went to a park. 
He got to that park and he sat down. He ate his lunch and then timing it right so he came home at the same time he used to come home. He showed up back about 5.30, 5.45 to his apartment. And friends, this went on for weeks and weeks and it turns out that this man had or, you know, has or at least at least had at that point had a temper issue. And what happened was that he had snapped at one too many co-workers in that factory and he had been fired from his job. He was devastated, as you would imagine. And this man, this husband, this father couldn't muster up the courage to tell his family, especially his wife. So he tried to write it out as long as he could. Got up put his uniform on for a job that he did not work at anymore, helped the kids get ready for school, had breakfast with his family, kissed his wife, and then just went to hang out until it was time to come home again. When we read this story, when I read this story years ago, part of me thought, gosh, what in the world? The dude just messed up and he just needs to tell his wife, tell his family, own it and keep it moving. But if we think about it for a moment, if we put ourselves in his shoes, we think about how he must have been feeling. Not only was he embarrassed, he felt a deep sense of shame from getting fired, from losing his job, letting down his family, a shame that he had let an anger problem, probably a problem that had surfaced in his past, resurface and get the best of him again. He'd messed up, so he hid. Got dressed like everything was normal. Kissed his wife on the way out the door and just lived a lie as long as he could. Homeboy just couldn't face the music of his mistake. And this man in Chicago, 10 or 15 years ago, whenever this occurred, wasn't the first to hide from his failures and sins. We think back to the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve ate from the tree that God told them not to and sin entered into the perfect paradise. What was their reaction in Genesis 1 through 3? They bolted. Like the man in Chicago, they couldn't face the music of their mistakes, their sins, so they tried their best to hide and conceal. Every one of us in this room on one level or another deals with this same problem as this man from Chicago. A deep fear of someone knowing us, truly knowing us, and seeing those failures, those faults, those things that you and I are deeply embarrassed about and sometimes deeply ashamed of. So we read a verse like the one I read in James 5, Therefore confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. We read that verse, we know it's good, it comes from the Scripture, we nod our heads in agreement, we know it's good to be honest about our failures, we know, looking at 1 John, it's good to be a people that live in the light, but gosh, we have to admit that it's absolutely terrifying at times. And if you're like everyone else who's ever walked the face of the earth, everyone else who's sitting in this room with you today, you have sinned at one point and instantly thought, I'll never do this again, and I hope no one ever finds out. But what if, what if in the world we live in today, what if someone did know about it? And what if instead of them being disgusted 
at your sin? What if instead of them brushing you aside as a lesser person, what if they responded with grace and love? Think about how that would have changed that man and think about how much it would change us today. Brothers and sisters, as we look at confession, I want you to hear from me that one of the most profound and healthy things you can do as a Christian, yes, come to church, yes, sing songs, yes, take communion, yes, read your Bible, yes, pray. But whether you became a Christian last Sunday, been walking with the Lord for 50 years, one of the healthiest things you can possibly do is simply confess your sins to each other. It's a part of every service at Redeemer. Right before we take communion, it's simply an invitation, not to shame and guilt, but it's an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to be honest, to be known about who you are and what you have done. The word confess actually means simply to agree, to admit to say the same thing. So a better way to say this is confession is simply saying the same thing about our sin as God says about our sin. All we're doing in confessing is saying the same thing that he already knows. We're sharing that with each other. When we think back on Genesis 3, one of the, 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 the saddest but also kind of the funniest part of it all, when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized they had messed up. What did they do? They somehow thought they could go and hide from the God that created the whole earth. Like he wouldn't know like this one little spot behind a bush where they could hide from him. Like he literally created that bush. And yet they think I'll just go hide from him. But gosh, don't we do the same thing? Psalm 51, 3 through 4, which we read earlier, Linda led us through the liturgy. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. So why do we hide? Why do we hide? And then why do we confess sins? Maybe the better question, what would lead us to possibly want to be honest, fully honest with each other? It's certainly not to get God to like us or accepted, accept us any more than He already does. He, if you are a Christian, you are fully accepted by Him. Romans 8.1 applies to every one of you. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why are we called to confess sin? It's not to earn something from God, but it's for your health, for who you are as believers, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters. There's a pastor up in Indiana who had a great metaphor about confessing sin. He's compared it to windshield wipers. And he said, we value windshield wipers not because they're some glitzy feature. Nobody's favorite thing is confession of sin, I promise. But because they provide us with an unobstructed vision in the middle of the storm. The understated value of wipers helps us grasp the role of confessing our sins to God. Unconfessed sin blurs our vision. So we can't see or communicate clearly with God and others. Confession is how we remove it, the fog, the rain coming down, so we can draw near. He goes on to say, to be clear, Jesus paid for our sin and provides 
full forgiveness for what alienates us from God. Confession doesn't accomplish atonement, our, our right relationship with God, but it's part of how we daily walk in the cleansing blood that Jesus purchased. Confession of sin wipes away that relational jump between us and God and us and others. When I was in college, when I went to school up in South Carolina, I drove this old Chevy pickup truck. And somehow with this truck, the windshield wipers, when it wasn't raining, worked 100 times out of 100. Whenever it started raining, I swear it was like two out of ten times they would start where they would be working. And oftentimes I'd drive back from Greenville to where my mom lived up in Johns Creek. And I'd drive back and it would start raining. And I could, I could feel like, you know, my, my heart start to race. And like I went to like make the click and like you just click and nothing happened. So I'd, you know, turn it back, turn it back on, turn it back off, turn it back on. And I can, I promise you more times than not, I would just have to sit under an overpass and just wait the storm out. So I was making zero progress on my way home. This is before smartphones. So it's just me and the radio hanging out underneath the overpass, waiting for the storm to pass. And what we see with confession is it's like those windshield wipers to say, if you want to keep moving forward in your relationship with God and others, it's wiping that rain away so you can see more clearly. But gosh, if it leads to freedom and it's for our good, why is it so darn hard? Well, I think there may be a lot of reasons, and some of that is wounds in the past that you need to deal with where someone has broken trust, who you've confessed sin to. And I think that's very important to us to acknowledge and for you to lean into. But I think a majority of the reason we don't confess sin, it boils down to the fact that we prefer people to admire who we present ourselves to be instead of risking them disliking or choosing not to love who we actually are. Let me say that again. It boils down to the fact that we prefer people to admire who we present ourselves to be instead of risking them disliking or choosing to lo- not to love who we actually are. In my early 30s, I played some co-ed church softball, and this is probably five or six years ago, and my daughter, who's 11 now, was about five or six at the time. We'd drag her out to the games uh, up in Smyrna, up in Nickajack Park, and she'd cheer us on. We made her a little jersey to match my jersey, just living up all my childhood dreams right there. And so I would play, play softball, and she would come watch me play. And it was, you know, a super fun season of life. And in that season, uh, we one night as a family went to the Braves games. It's still when they were down uh, off Hank Aaron Drive in Atlanta. And we went to a Braves game. We parked, you know, a few miles away. It's part of the Henley Creed that we never pay for parking. So we'll, we'll walk miles uh, before we'll pay for parking. But so we're walking up, and I remember holding her little hand, uh, or her kind of holding my finger as a five-year-old. And she looked up at me, and she goes, as we're walking to the stadium, she goes, Daddy, are you playing tonight? And I, was, I thought to myself, I was like, I was like, I was thinking, I was like, I mean, obviously not. Like, uh, like, I mean, I'm barely, I'm barely making the cut at like, you know, co-ed softball. But I remember looking and going like, babe, like, not tonight, but, you know, I'll be ready for the postseason. Like, don't worry. Um, and the reality is that that little five-year-old, like, she saw her dad in this way that was not accurate at all like I, I mean I would struggle to have made my high school baseball team much less pray, play for the Atlanta Braves but gosh didn't it feel amazing 
for a split second to have someone in my life look at me in a way that, though it wasn't true, made me feel better about who I was than I actually was. And so often in our lives, maybe we, you know, our kids maybe may always look at us a little bit as heroes, but we take that same mentality throughout the rest of our lives. Where you look around and ask each other, do we prefer people to admire who we present ourselves to be instead of risking them disliking or choosing not to love who we actually are? Because when you're confessing sin, when you're confessing your greed or your harsh words you said to a spouse or a friend, your lust, your envy, your lying, whatever it is that you are struggling with, when you do that, you are letting your guard down. You're being vulnerable in front of somebody else and you're handing someone the most precious thing about you, your vulnerability, in which they then have the power to either tend carefully to your heart or to harm you in a significant way. So we don't take this lightly. Confession of sin is not something that we flippantly throw around, but this is where as Christians, the invitation to confess sin, we have to understand that Jesus is the one that changes everything about this. As Christians, the entire premise, the foundation of what we believe and who we are is built on the fact that God, in His compassion, saw us in all of our worst sin and debauchery and looked at us and said, I choose you. Titus 3, 3-7 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, hated and hating one another. But what happened? The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. God saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, who He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So as Christians here and now, honestly, for eternity, our life is built on the premise that as, to steal a phrase from our Anglican prayer book, that we are miserable offenders. But God looks at us with compassion and says, I'm willing to have my son, my beloved son, who's committed no sin, sent to the cross to pay the debt of your sins and then adopt you into my family. And brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the identity of who we are. First and foremost, not our own, but bought by the blood of Jesus. And however, though, the problem is that we forget this. And like Adam and Eve, we put our fig leaves back on. We chase the love of getting other people to admire or accept us for who we present ourselves to be thinking it's better to be liked for who we are than risk being unloved or unaccepted by who we actually are. But what if, Hear me out. What if, as Christians, we looked at each other and we said, I know that I'm just as much of a mess as you are. And though we may have committed different sins, the ground is completely level at the foot of the cross. So if I believe that, I can listen to your sins, your struggles, your mistakes, and I can know you, even the parts that you're ashamed of and I can accept you as friend because that's what Jesus did for me. Amen?
So with the rolling out of discipleship groups at Redeemer, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, and we'll have a, another long announcement about next week, this is the invitation. We're inviting you into a space where you can be more fully known, more fully loved, and more fully reminded of Jesus' love for you. So we ask ourselves, what exactly does it look like? What it looks like is you're getting together with your discipleship group, with a people, a group of, you know, small group of men or women, and taking the opportunity to spend time studying the Bible, which Leon's going to talk, Pastor Matt's going to talk more about next week. But you're going to do exactly what James says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I want to say it's important to recognize the importance of wisdom in this area. Because if you're sharing sin, like I said, it's important to share with people that you trust. And trust is built over time. So when you show up, when you, if you're starting a brand new discipleship group, it may not make sense in week one to share all of your deepest, darkest secrets. One, one kind of uh, idea that we've, we've presented to folks that's been helpful is just to take the time in those first few groups to just get to know each other's story. Ask for what are the significant dots on the timeline over the course of your life where God has moved in unique ways or there's events that have shaped you as a person. Allow someone to get to know your story a little bit. And again, we share with the small number of people whom you trust. This is why we don't overshare and over-confess our sins on social media or in large groups of people. We'll never have, we may have testimonies at Redeemer. We're not having group confession time at Redeemer. Uh, that is a precious thing that is only to be held with people that you know and trust. So what are you confessing? I think there's a slide for this. I think I might have forgotten the prompt for you back there. But a good place to start, this is, a couple of these comes from John Wesley's 22 questions. And what we're going to do is kind of send out a long list of these. If you're struggling to know kind of where do I start with confessing sin, this is where I often start. So I'm not telling you to go anywhere I have not already gone. But I'm asking the questions when I'm with guys that know me and love me, that I am trusting my sin to. I ask myself leading up to that time in my consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I really am. I ask myself, where this week have I been a slave to, to image, to friends, to work or money? Where this week have I been dishonest in my acts? Where have I exaggerated or lied? How have I expressed love towards others this week? Or am I struggling to love or forgive anyone in my life? Have I been damaging with my words? Have I, have I not uh, been confidential when someone's been confidential with me? Where have I gossiped this week? And personally, I know for me, whenever I'm headed to go have time where I'm going to be asked questions about my life, there's something that God puts in my head of something I did this past week. And usually a trigger for me is it's, if it's whatever it is that I don't want to share, that's probably a good thing to start with. Because everybody, everyone in this room has something that happened this week or this month that they're like, I don't feel like I can trust people with that. And the invitation is to let that come out. Sin grows in the darkness and dies in the light. This is your opportunity to put it in the light. 
And when you're confessing sin, be specific. And then, as the brother or sister has heard the sin, there's a slide for this, your response to this is unbelievably important. And I cannot stress this enough. Out of all the moments in your lives, this is a moment at the top of the list where you are the body, and blood, the body of Christ to each other. You are the fellowship of Jesus to each other. When someone confesses sin to you, your first thing you do is you remind them of Jesus' love and you speak grace over them. Give them Romans 8.1. Give them Ephesians 2. And then if they are ready to share, ask some more questions to understand more about what is going on. There's always the sin or the wound, whatever is going on. And then there's the sin underneath that sin. That guy that lashed out in anger in Chicago and lost his job, I guarantee you there's more to that story. And these close friends are the people that help you take that, to help you get to those roots through the Holy Spirit. The third thing is to be a friend. It's an absolute honor to be trusted with someone's sin and struggles. Do not break that confidence. You'll wound your friendship with them and make it harder for them to confess sin in the future. The fourth thing is to follow up with them. Continue to be a friend. Walk with them in their struggle. And the last thing is the obvious one from James 5. Pray for them. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Those commandments to confess our sin and to pray, they're not not, uh, coincidentally next to each other. Jesus, when inspiring the Bible, James, when writing this letter, puts those right next to each other because of the importance of praying for each other after there's been sin confessed. And so, church, mark my words. I promise you, as you do things, as you live in the light, your life will change. Your walk with the Lord will strengthen. Your understanding of grace will grow Your love for others will abound and increase beyond what you can imagine. If you accept this invitation, I'm asking you, you will grow as you move forward in vulnerability. So as we head towards the communion table, Pastor Max is going to come up and lead us in communion. And as we do every week, we confess sin before we take of communion. And may this be a reminder, an invitation to do that once again, but also a model what it looks like to confess sin to one another. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and generosity that you give us tracks to run on through the scriptures of what it looks like to be followers of you. Father, give us courage to be vulnerable. Give us courage to be honest with our sin to others. And may you grow us in relationship with each other and with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Drew.